You're listening to the Echo Church Podcast. For more information about our church, please visit our website at echowashington.org. I'm Brandon Hughes. I'm sure you guys have heard that uh, Rob and I swapped places this morning, which I actually didn't know until uh, Nick told me. So our lead pastor, Sam, is... I know that Sam is out on vacation right now at the lake, uh, much-needed vacation. We have several elders at Red Tree that preach once every three to four months. They, it's not really their gift set, so it's awesome to have Rob there right now preaching. Um, Red Tree is, is a good tambourine kick. I may use this later. Red Tree is, I guess we're kind of a partner church to Echo. Uh, we're in Ballin, West County, so that's where my wife and I are from, um, Actually, my wife is from out here in Union. She reconnected with a few former classmates, actually. Uh, but we just moved to West County about a year ago, and the purpose of the move was just to be equipped by Red Tree to eventually uh, be sent out to plant the church with myself and one of the elders there, and potentially a third guy. So uh, that's a little bit about us. Um, you guys saw we have four girls under four, so pray for us. We all just got on. Un- we all just got over a virus that ping-ponged uh, for about two weeks. Uh, red eye, or pink eye, congestion, fever, headaches, snot, back and forth, all over the place. So kind of was finishing up the sermon last minute last night, because um, I think yesterday was about our full day, first full day of being good, so we just spent all day at the park out here in Washington, actually, at a Romanian picnic. My wife is Romanian, and... She has a lot of family. Some of them are here today. Everybody say hi, family, right there. So praise God for that. Um, So obviously you guys know we're in a sermon series called Lord Teach Us How to Pray. Um, When Sam asked me to preach uh, for Echo, it was very exciting to me to see this series. I love prayer. Uh, I think it's absolutely essential to our lives as believers, not only personally, but in the church and in our callings. So we're going to get into that today here in just a bit, but I just want to, we don't have to do any hands raising here, but just in your hearts, kind of take a survey. How many of you would say you have a strong prayer life? And we don't have to raise hands, but just ask yourself seriously, because my answer, especially in the last year or so, is not very strong. I'll be honest with you guys. Life has kind of turned us upside down and kicked us around a little bit. Um, And that's typically when you should probably go to prayer most, right? So how many of you, just in your hearts, would say you have a strong prayer life, yay or nay? I want you guys to think about that question today. Um, I would say nay for me. How many of you, and this is, some, this is a way you can kind of get this question churning in your heart, how many of you have seen awesome testimonies come from prayer in your life? Yeah? A lot of heads nodding. So prayer is essential. It's the foundation for everything in our lives because prayer connects us with God, the Father. Prayer connects us with the one who is responsible for everything in our lives. And so this series for Echo Church right now, you guys are a young church. What are you, a few months in? A year in now? Maybe more? Yeah, but probably several years in the making. And so prayer for you guys right now is essential as a church. I'll give a quick little nugget here. When I was 13, I was a part of a large church in Bridgeton, largest west of the Mississippi, probably not anymore, So that church started with prayer and fasting for months and months on end. Lord, what do you want from this church? What do you want us to do? And we would gather in people's houses, 20, 30, 40, 50 people, and just pray for hours and hours on end. And from that, God started 
doing a miraculous work in the midst of the church. We, we got a building that was 6,000 square feet. We got planted in a neighborhood in North St. Charles that was a very transient, uh, high drug use, single parent household type neighborhood that needed a lot of help. And as we continued to pray to the Lord for help and for guidance, that church grew and people were getting saved numerous by the day. Guess what happened? Church growth kept increasing. We hired pastors, we hired staff people. And like we do as humans, we said, Lord, this is awesome. We'll take it from here. Thanks. No joke, within several months, the church tore itself apart from within and dying curve. So I just want to encourage you guys, Echo Church, you guys are small right now. That is key. You have a small, intimate body of people, and you guys can get together often and pray and fast and seek the Lord. What would you have for this church? Because this area needs it. Rob, didn't, Rob and whoever else was a part of the leadership team didn't just say, oh, Washington, we should just go there. I'm sure there was a lot of prayer over this area and a lot of specific insight into, man, this area needs a gospel church. So I just want to encourage you guys that, with that. So today we're just going to recap Rob's sermon from last week. The whole time. No, I'm joking. Just, just at the beginning, I'm going to highlight a couple things that he pointed out. He did amazing at pointing out, you know, that our view of God determines everything in our lives when it comes to how we live. So seeing God as a father, and then everything we do is for the glory of God. That's how the world's created. It's not for us. And then thirdly, we're going we're gonna to kind of recap that Jesus is our great reward. And so this week, that was last week. Last week, does anybody know the verse from last week? Lord's Prayer, first verse, shout it out. Kids, you guys know the Lord's Prayer? See how well the Romanian church is teaching you. <laughs> say it in Romanian. <laughs> anybody know the first verse? Just say it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So Rob went over that last week. We're going to get into that. This week, our verse is, next verse. I like interaction. I'm a little more charismatic. We're going to talk about healing, gifts, prophecy, all that today. Your kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're going to get into that today, uh, specifically with verse 10. You guys can already turn to Matthew 10. You can be turning or swiping on your phones Specific, so we're going to cover what Rob, some of the main points Rob hit, and then we're going to go into verse 10, and I want to specifically talk about surrender to God's will in our personal lives, on a personal level, in the secret, quiet place, and surrendering to his call publicly in terms of mission and what God has for us in terms of mission in the kingdom. So we're going to talk about that, those two things, surrender personally, and then surrender in our calls. And then the next thing we're going to talk about which is going to ruffle some feathers if you guys are so Baps and grew up Southern Baptist, maybe you didn't. We're going to talk about the kingdom of God, what that looks like. And it's going to get pretty Pentecostal in here, pretty charismatic. So um, we're, going to, we're just going to explore what does the Bible say? What does Jesus say? What does Jesus, what does Jesus exemplify the kingdom looks like? And then at the end, we're just going to do some practical application and maybe have a time of ministry. I'll release my wife and sister-in-laws to they love praying for people. I just put them on the spot. It's those two standing up there and the one in the black here, so don't let them escape. If you need prayer, if you need prayer, those are the deaconesses today. <laughs> so that's what we're going to do. So we'll get into, we'll get into the text right now. Um, I'm going to open up in prayer since we're talking about prayer. Father, we just thank you today that you are holy. You are our God. You are our Father. Holy be your name, Lord. Um, thank you that you sit enthroned in heaven. We just pray today that your will would be done, that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. 
Thank you for your provision, Father, your forgiveness. I just pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would just take over this place, that you would, anything that's blocking you in our hearts and our minds would just be out of the way. We just take a deep breath in. We just breathe you in. We blow away all distractions, all stress. Forgive us, Father, for fighting with our spouses on the way here. Forgive us, Lord, for yelling at our kids to get ready for church. Just forgive us, Father, for everything. Thank you that you are faithful and just to do that. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. I think I want to have somebody read this. Donnie, you want to come up and read it? Come on, come on up, Donnie. This guy, this guy is amazing, by the way. Oldest of eight so far? Oldest of eight. This is my, one of my nephews. So if you guys ever want some authentic, like, amazing Romanian music, this kid is a genius on the accordion. Like, amazing, can just play by ear. I'm putting you on the spot, dude. All right. So, sorry, my Bible's, like, totally shredded. <laughs> There's, like, tape everywhere. And so right there, just the Lord's Prayer. Blast it out, dude. So it starts right here, Our Father, and then ends right there. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Amen. Thanks, bud. I'm going to read it one more time. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So like I said today, we're focusing on verse 10, which is your will be done, your kingdom come. For us to understand that, we need to have appropriate understanding of what? Who God is. Rob got into that last week. Who was here last week? Anybody? Got one guy, two, awesome. So you guys definitely need to watch that sermon online. It's an awesome tool to have that stuff recorded. I watched it and just felt like we should maybe just hit play on that today because it was awesome. It was really good. So Rob highlighted a couple things. So when the, and let's just tag back to verse 9 really quick. It says, Our Father in heaven hallowed be your name. That word hallowed is holy, set apart. So our view of God dictates everything in our lives, how we pray, how we live our lives, how we treat one another. Most of us, let's think about this. We don't have to raise our hands, but most of us probably have a rough go of it with our fathers, right? I certainly did. I could probably sit here for about 30 minutes and talk about it, but my dad did the best with what he had. Most of our dads the same, but let's just be honest. Most of the time, what our dad's relationship was with us gives us a picture of God. And so some of our earthly fathers did amazing. Some of our earthly fathers we would never want to see again. And so we always need to, no matter who our dad is, how well he does, hopefully he's pointing us to God, hopefully he's pointing us to Christ, but we always need to see who God is. And so that term father in the first century when Jesus said that, that was crazy. That's what Rob pointed out. Back in the first century, the rabbis and the teachers of the day they referred to God as, anybody know in the Hebrew? Adonai, well, no. Yahweh. They referred to God as Yahweh. yod Heh vav Heh in the Hebrew. It's Y-H-W-H. 
uh, it was such a holy name, they didn't put vowels in the middle because they didn't know how to pronounce it, so they didn't want to defame the name. But that name brought a connotation of fear, trembling, distance from God. Do you remember Moses on the mountain? God actually, do you guys know this, that God actually invited Israel up to the mountain with Moses? Why didn't they go? They were scared. They were trembling. They were afraid they were going to get struck down by lightning. So when Jesus comes on the scene in the first century and teaches everybody how to pray, and the rabbis and the scribes and the Jewish te- the teachers are all there, and he says, this is how you need to pray. Because he, he just slammed who? He just slammed the Pharisees and the teachers of the law for, te- for praying out in the synagogue, you know, out in the street corners in the synagogues to be heard. Jesus says, this is how you pray. Our Father just him saying father would have like blown the paradigm of the day. And it did. And that's a big reason that people were upset with him. So Jesus right off the bat brings God down to their level and says, this is your father. This is not some distant God on the mountain who's going to strike you down with lightning. This is your perfect heavenly father who loves you. And so Jesus right off the bat identifies God as a father. And so through him, we can be what? Through Christ's sacrifice, we can be children, right? Sons and daughters, heirs, according to, according to Christ. So this is what fuels prayer, is how we view God. So you got, I want you guys to look through this. We're staying, we're staying in the Sermon on the Mount the whole day. Who knows what the Sermon on the Mount is? What's it start with? What teaching? What? What? Beatitudes, blessings. We're staying in the Sermon on the Mount the whole day. So Jesus, this is crazy, guys. So we're in, Matt, I want you guys to hold your Bibles. I want you to look at them if you don't have twins in your hands. I have twin girls, by the way, right there. So Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer, and then he spends the rest of chapter 6. He spends the rest of the Sermon on the Mount up through chapter 6 and 7, establishing how good God is as a father. So he doesn't just say, our Father in heaven. He starts establishing how good God is as a father. Look at this. In verse 19, he says, Don't lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but in heaven, heavenly treasures, which I believe is soul saved. Then he says, The eye is the lamp of the body. Have a single focus on Christ and don't serve God in money. We know these teachings. And then the famous passage in verse 25, Do not be anxious about anything, for if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And he says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. He knows what we need before we ask. Matthew 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For the one who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. To the one who knocks, it will be open. For which of you, if his son has a fish, gives him a serpent? Or if he has a piece of bread, gives him a stone? How much more, you who are evil, how much more will your father give you good things? So Jesus spends the next several parts of his teaching establishing how good God is as a father. Do you guys remember Israel? What, what happened to Israel? Kids, come on, speak up. What happened to Israel in, in Egypt? What happened? I like interaction because we're a small group. If, were, if for my preference, we'd all be like right here sitting in a circle. What happened in Egypt to Israel? Come on, guys. We're going to have to talk to your brother. Or your dad, my brother-in-law. What happened? Adults, help them out. They were slaves, right? Who rescued the Israelites? Moses? Yep. And where did they go? 
promised land in the wilderness. Do you guys remember what happened? Israel saw miracles, right? What was the biggest miracle they saw to get out of Egypt? I'm putting you guys on the spot. I'll stop here in a sec. What was the biggest miracle that got Israel out of Egypt? Parting of the Red Sea. Israel sees miracle after miracle after miracle, and what happened to that first generation? Wiped out. Why? Faith. They didn't trust God. They still didn't believe that God was a good father. Jesus, right now in the first century, is dealing with that same heart in the Israelites of that day and age. He's dealing with the same heart because they have taken God's word and they've put extra laws, extra teachings to try to build up their value in the Lord because they don't trust God. They try to build up ways for men to try to get to God because they don't trust God. So Jesus is dealing with that same attitude here. What is the passage in John? I am the... Jesus' whole ministry was based on revealing the Father. I am the... No, one, no man comes to the Father through me. The, they wanted to kill Jesus for this teaching. Rob pointed this out last week. He was basically equating himself to being... He was equating himself not only to God, but being the only begotten Son of God, and that he was the only way to the Father. Israel cared about being children of Abraham. Jesus cared about being children of God the Father. And so that's what Jesus' ministry was all about. And so we need to see who God is, our perfect Heavenly Father. I remember... Uh, when I first started realizing that God actually loved me, when I got into college at age 18, I had felt this gap in my life, like, man, my dad and I really didn't like each other. We actually hated each other. Um, I need a dad, help. <laughs> I need a man, man, manly influence in my life. And so I spent several of my first years in college trying to go get that relationship from my dad. And it was too awkward, too much bitterness, too much pain. He didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how to do it. And so it was just like, trying to fit a, two cogs together that are totally opposite. And so God told me one day, why don't you stop trying to focus on fixing your dad? Let me fix him and let me fix you. And so the more that I focused on the Lord and how much he loved me and how amazing he was, it drove me into greater prayer. I remember the first, we're going to get charismatic here. Who's ever prayed in tongues? You've heard it? I know my family has. Anybody else? Sorry, you guys come from new community. I don't know if that's a, I don't know if that's a thing over there, but uh, there we go. So we're gonna try to, yeah. John MacArthur, not so much in the. They came from a church. It's kind of like, yeah, yeah. So we're gonna get a little bit more balanced here. You, you grew up Pentecostal, so the first time I ever, I wasn't looking for it. I was not. I had no clue what was going on. The first time I ever spoke in tongues was when I was when I was so like in awe of God's love for me, I spent three hours in prayer praying for my dad and another friend. And like an hour and a half in, my mouth just started like going crazy. I'm like, what is happening right now? I guess I'm speaking in tongues. And God started giving me visions and pictures of my dad as a child and the abuses he went through and basically telling me to let him off the hook and to love him for who he was. Love him as another brother in the Lord. And I just started like interceding for my dad. And this is crazy. Right after I got done praying. So up until this point, I was 26. My dad and I, couldn't e we couldn't even talk to each other. It was that bad. Um, almost got in a fist fight the year before. <laughs> right, right after. <laughs> right, man, God is good. 
You want to preach, babe? <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. Right after I got done praying for my dad and releasing him, he called me. He called me. I mean, he called me right when I got done praying. And his voice, his countenance was completely different. Conversation content was the same. How you doing, Brandon? How's everything going? <laughs> Good, Dad, blah, blah, blah. His countenance, his whole person was different. And from that day forward, we've had an amazing relationship. And so I just really believe this is so important to our lives that if we don't see God for who he is, we'll never let people off the hook. We will never release people. We will always be holding each other on the hook looking for something that they can't even give us. Looking for some kind of value and affirmation and God forbid that our prayer life is just God change those people so that my life can be easier. God just change the circumstance, change my boss, change my employee, my coworkers so that my life can be easier. God forbid that's our prayer. May our prayer be God, man, you've loved you loved me when I was an enemy. You love me in my sin even now. I just pray for that love for those people. I pray that they experience that love. And you guys will see miracles. You will see miracles. And I'm sure some of us have seen it. And I believe today we need to get back to that place. Whatever's in our lives right now that's keeping us away from the Lord, we need to get back there. So much depends on it. God, God is waiting and willing to work through us. The harvest is plentiful. The labors are few. And we use so many things in our life as an excuse I get it. We all had tough situations. We all had tough lives. I get it. But we can't afford to do that anymore. We have to look at God for who he is. So that's, that's our foundation to this next part of the Lord's Prayer. Verse 10, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to focus in on the will part. We'll get into the kingdom here in a second, but we have to be at a, if, if we realize how good God is and come to him in, inner, in, in, the, in our inner place and just pray to him and man, Lord, you are so good, our heart will only be to surrender. And so I want to focus on that. Let's turn to Philippians 2. Jesus lived a life of surrender to God's will. Jesus was constantly open to the Lord's will. That was his main purpose on earth was to accomplish that for which he sent me. I'm going to go to Philippians 2. May get somebody else up here to read. Donnie's like, please don't. No, I'll read it. Philippians 2. So I just want to highlight a couple of major places where Jesus surrendered to the will of the Lord. So we're, we're, we're now into this part of verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I believe this is talking about surrender to God's will in our lives personally. Jesus came to earth. We're in Philippians 2. Uh, let's go to verse 5. And this is really good. This is Talk about a good church verse. This is amazing. This is Paul basically saying, have the same mind that Christ had, counting each other 
more significant than the other. Let each of you, so verse four, let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And we read further that he gets exalted back to the right hand of the Father. So Jesus' first step on this earth was to empty himself of those things, get out of his place with God up in eternity, and come to earth as a man. That was his first submission of, of will to the to Father. What's, his second, what's the second big one in his life? So he comes to earth. I'm not going to ask you. What's his second act, his second big one? So he comes to earth as a man and then gets what? John does something with him. Baptized. That's the next area where he submits to the Lord's will. And he gets baptized. The Holy Spirit descends upon him. What happens next? The wilderness. The Spirit leads him off into the wilderness. He fights the devil and says, nope, get out of here. This is what the word says. The devil flees and he goes out being ministered in the Spirit and carries on his ministry. So Jesus, a second major time. This kind of reflects our lives though, doesn't it too though? How do, we, how do we walk in God's calling? What's the first step? Submitting our flesh to him. Humbling ourselves to the point of death, right? Spiritual death. Sometimes some of us can be called the physical, but spiritual, right? And then we walk in ministry. Third time. What's the third biggest time? Let's turn to Matthew 26. Somebody just shouted out, what's his third? I mean, he was always in submission to God's will, but... Anybody know where we're going? Matthew 26. Verse 36. Thank you, Lord. Wow, wow, wow. This is the prayer in Gethsemane. Our pastor, Sam, has some really good commentary on this, how the disciples continued to fall asleep and not stand guard and pray. Verse 38, Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Man, how many of us pray like that? I'm going to read that again. Verse 39, And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus lived a constant life of surrender. Let's go back to Matthew 10. What's that phrase in our verse today? Matthew 6:10. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? Think about this. How perfectly is God's will carried out in heaven? Let's just get a little humorous here. Like seriously, how perfectly does God's will get executed in heaven? Do you think there's any pushback like with our kids? Do you think like when, you know, the angels are up there and, you know, they're worshiping God 24-7 and God's like, hey, Gabriel, can you go grab me that, uh, that shofar horn ram thing? I want to blow it really quick to start this worship session. Do you think he's like, ah, I'm feeling a little bit tired today. I don't know, Lord, maybe tomorrow. Or when he's asking the cherubim to 
raise up the golden stuff up there or whatever do you think? They're just like, Lord, give me a break. I'll do it tomorrow. (laughs) No, right? I mean, his will is carried out perfectly in heaven. There is no resistance to God's will in heaven, right? No resistance. Like heaven, all of heaven is bent towards God's will, almost literally towards the will of God. And so if all of heaven is bent towards God will, God's will, and Jesus tells us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, shouldn't we? Shouldn't our will always be bent? So here's a little funny thing. Like, angels and demons don't have a choice, by the way, when it comes to God's will. They just do it. Demons know they have to obey. Look at Jesus' ministry. Demons constantly obey. They're like, oh my gosh, please don't kick me out yet. And he's like, nope, Go. Us as Christians think we have a choice. I, and we do, which it's a blessing and a curse. We actually have a choice to obey God. Isn't that crazy? That's insane. I constantly choose to disobey God. Why is that? It's our nature, right? You know what's amazing is we have the privilege and ability to like actually let the Holy Spirit work and live in us to be surrendered to God's will. Like it says the angels long for what we have. It says all of this looked forward to what we have. There's something there. I think we're going to get into it a little bit. And so we're in this part of this verse, verse 10, your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And so I believe that part of the prayer, this thing we're focusing in on is surrendering to God. Often we don't pray because we don't want to lose control. We don't pray because we don't want to lose control and we don't trust God for the results. For everyday decisions. Here's a great example. I've told some of my sister-in-laws this. I have four girls under four. Um, my, we were sick last weekend, but there was a lot of family events going on. And so I wanted, my wife's got like an impeccable immune system. <laughs> I guess that happens when you grow up with a family of 15 kids. You just like pretty much develop like a Terminator immune system. <laughs> I'm like serious. I love it. Sometimes I get slightly jealous, but most of the time I'm pretty happy for her. She, like we, we could be like barfing our guts out and like, you know, like up against the wall. Like we have a, you know, just demon in us. And she's like, I'm fine. You know, like <laughs> no problem here. <laughs> so I just told her to basically <laughs> get out of the house last weekend <laughs> Oh, man. Made a smoothie. All right. Get out of the house last weekend, and I'll watch all four kids. So (laughs) I have four girls under four, pink eye, snot everywhere, crying, coughing, sneezing. My two older girls are in this stage, which if you're a parent with older kids, please talk to me afterward for wisdom. You guys right there. They're in this stage of just like Natalie will walk by Raquel and like barely brush her arm. Sissy hit me, sissy hit me, because they know like when they do something wrong, the consequences will come from the other, and then they'll kind of peek in the room to see the other getting spanked and like, you know. So I'm like doing all that, and well, this is this story is a little bit before this, but the other day Lisa was on the phone with like some salesperson about something we bought. There was a miscommunication, and so our second oldest daughter started crying in the room. And Lisa's like, get her out of here, get her out of here. So I had a twin with me in one arm. Both girls were naked at the time because we had just sprayed them down. You know, they like to get sprayed by the hose. We're pretty Hoosier. (laughs) Out in the front yard, and I'm just sitting on the porch spraying them with the hose. And so both, both the older girls are naked. I have a twin. Natalie's getting pushed out of the room, and she has her hand on the door frame. 
And so Lee, where the hinges are, and she keeps crying, and Lisa's like, get out of here. She's like kicking the door, so it's like, and I look over at, I look over at Natalie, and she's like, you know that cry that like builds up, and then it releases like five seconds later into like a blood shriek? Well, she's like, ah! So I have a twin in my hand, Raquel right here, Natalie, both naked. I run Natalie to the bath. I put the twin down on a bed in the other room, put Natalie under the sink, cold water running, get back to see, make sure the twin's okay. And Raquel, naked, like this tall, is smothering the other twin, like smothering her. And the twin's like, I'm like, Raquel. And I spank her bare bottom butt. And she's like, ah, and starts crying. The twin's crying. Natalie's crying. And most of the time, I'd probably like put a hole through the wall or, you know, I had a moment, and I'm getting to a point here, I had a moment in the everyday craziness of life where I said, I prayed, God help me, and right there, peace. And I was able to handle it, and Lisa gets out of the room, she's like, what the heck happened? (laughs) It's all right, God took over. (laughs) But controversially, the weekend I'm watching them all when they're sick, same kind of thing, like all four of them just going crazy. And in my mind, I'm like, my wife's a superwoman. I I get to be away at work 10 hours a day. Like, this girl is amazing. So they start like flipping out, fighting each other, and I didn't respond very well. I didn't pause to pray, and I flipped a table over and like kicked a chair down, (laughs) which made it way worse, because then the older girl's like, ah. I felt like Jesus in the temple, you know? I, I tried to, like, make it spiritual afterward. I'm like, I just flipped a table. Like, that's got to count for something, you know? And God's like, no, not really. So all that to say is we need to pause in those moments. Like, our life is made up of those moments, right? Every day, mundane, crazy life, boom, 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 it can build up. Man, can you believe if we just waited till the end of the day to pray for 10 minutes, half asleep? laying down in our beds after we've had the battle of putting the kids down? Can you, can you imagine if that's just when we prayed? Like Paul says what? Pray without. I think the key to this passage is in surrender to God's will, we are surrendering moment by moment, taking a pause, breathing. <sighs> okay, God, what do you want? And inviting him into that. And when we do that, we take that little step. God's like, cool. But when we try to muster it in our own strength and, get, and try to fix all the problems and get stressed, it turns into an absolute nightmare. And so I just want to encourage you guys that we can do this. Like, really quick story. My cousin and I, one of, well, one of their cousins, we do remodeling together. We spent 40 hours on a bathroom, like half the size of the stage because we had to rip out all the plumbing and go crazy. And uh, we spent all week trying to figure out the plumbing stack and the last day on Friday, eight hours straight, we're like torching this thing and soldering it. Can't get the water to stop leaking. And we're just getting like frustrated. And he's a guy that can figure anything out, Dennis. And I just had this thought come to mind. This is for us at work, whoever have full-time jobs. So eight hours into the day, I'm like, maybe we should pray. Prayed for like 20 seconds. Right after we prayed, Dennis is like, oh, yeah. Doom, done. We just spent 40 hours, a whole week, on that darn thing, and all it took was a 20-second prayer. You guys see how easy this is? How easy it is to walk like this, yet it's so hard. Why? Because we get in the way. We're fleshly. We don't know how to just pause. And so that's part of this surrender to the will. It's in the personal, day-to-day stuff. And then, of course, with big, big, big things, right? How many of you feel like you're called into any type of ministry. Anybody? Some? 
How many of you have ever switched careers? Everybody, right? How many of you moved into a new house? How many of you made big decisions? How many of you gotten married? Okay, there we go. She's like saying no to all this stuff. I'm like, give me a big decision. So it's the same thing. We can surrender in the small little things and we can surrender in the big things and ask God for guidance. So Rob wanted me to kind of repeat this. Lord, teach us how to pray. So step one, verse nine, we recognize how holy God is when we enter into prayer, how good of a father he is. And then that leads us to what? Surrendering to his will, right? I want to go to Matthew 13. Let's turn there really quick. These parables are amazing. So Rob, so only a couple of you are here last week. Did anybody else watch the sermon online? No? Okay. So Rob, last week he went into some of the parables about the kingdom. How many of you know the pearl of great price? So it's like a, the kingdom is like a, well, I'll just, the kingdom is like a man who found a great treasure or found a great treasure and sold all he had to obtain that treasure. The kingdom is like a man who, you know, in the field, you know, same thing. So Rob went into how the kingdom is a great treasure and we should be willing to give all for it. I just want to touch on Matthew 13 really quick, uh, starting in verse 31. Where do I want to go with this? So, So the kind of the background that my wife and I just came from and maybe you over there in the Pentecostal area is when we read these verses in those back, backgrounds, we're like, man, kingdom power, you know, just authority, dominion over sickness, dominion over sin, prophecy, tongues, blah, 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 awesome stuff. And we're going to get into it. But what I'm trying to hammer at here is the first place the kingdom starts is right here in the day-to-day surrendering in the situations like that, in the little place. The, the, Jesus, what did Jesus say before this? Lord's Prayer. Don't pray on the street corners with big, amazing words for other people to see you because then you'll have your reward. It's just the fading approval of man. He says what? Pray behind closed doors. Pray in secret. For your Father who sees you in secret will what? Reward you. In the original language, it's actually, it says he will reward you openly. And so when we are praying in the quiet place with the Lord and it's a small, intimate thing, God rewards us with his presence there, but then he rewards us openly because other people see that. Other people see God in us and they want that. That's the reward too. So Matthew 13, we're going to talk about leaven here. Most of the time, leaven is in a negative connotation in the Bible, right? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Here it's a good connotation. Jesus, Matthew 13, verse 31 He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. So this is the mustard seed one first. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leaven. What are the com- what's common here? Let's shout out. What's common with the mustard seed and leaven? Spread. spread. What else? They both start small. They spread. One thing that I saw that was very interesting about both these things is leaven works very quick, right? Who's a, what's leaven used in like bread and stuff? Who's a baker here? Who's a wife? Men can do it too. Sorry, dudes. Leaven starts, it's like 
don't you just put like a couple pinches in and it just leavens the whole lump, right? So leaven is small, it spreads, but this is what I thought was interesting. He uses two items that spread quickly and grow quickly and big. So think about this. If our prayer life is to surrender our wills to God in every moment, that should be growing. That prayer life that we're feeding, the kingdom work in our lives should be growing just as quick as a result. Do you guys see that? So there's a little mustard seed of a prayer life, and that thing grows quick into a big plant. There's a little bit of leaven of a prayer life in the closet, intimacy with God, and just in the same parallel with that, our work in the kingdom, evangelizing, reaching, discipling, praying over people, that should be growing just as quick. So I thought that was really interesting. Like a, a mustard plant can grow like nine feet tall. It's crazy. And they germinate like within days. So I just thought that was super interesting that when our lives are surrendered to the Lord personally, we see the kingdom. So Lord, teach us how to pray. Recognize God as a holy father, right? A good father. Second, verse 10, surrender to his will. And then thirdly, what we're about to get into is the kingdom, the kingdom of God. Okay, it's going to get a little interesting now. Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth that is in heaven. What does the kingdom look like? What do you guys think? When you hear that word, what do you think? Your kingdom come. What images do you get? See, what I grew up in was Southern Baptist, and that was always a future event. Your kingdom come, your will be done. It was always a future thing, like, yep, Jesus is going to come back, second coming, cool. I always think of the church. The church? Beautiful, yeah. Well, anything specifically? Yeah, uh, Israel, Covenant Theology. Yeah, awesome. Ooh, we need to talk. We're, <laughs> we're all into that. Israel, yep. Church being Israel, grafted in. Covenant Theology, anything else? So the, so the church spreading. An influence, just like Acts 2. Yeah, and like your Pentecostal stuff you're talking about. How when the church spreads to new areas, the darkness just leaves. Yeah. Literally that power, that ability to do new life. Yeah. How even in our own lack of understanding with the kingdom and all that stuff, all ships rise under Christianity, our nations flourish. Right. Even despite them knowing why. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, we were just talking about that, my wife and I on the way, like, why, so we're going to see this. Why, was it such, why does it take such radical, miraculous stuff to push back the kingdom of darkness? Well, the kingdom of darkness is held down by Satan. Exactly, exactly. He, has, he is the prince of the power of the air right now. He is controlling people. Like, we're going to, I'm not going to get into demonology, but his influence is way greater than we think. And so, We can't just hand out a Bible tract and expect the kingdom of darkness to be pushed back. Jesus took authority over it, bound up the strong man because he was stronger, and pushed it back. And so in our our lives, when we're looking to to bring the kingdom, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, it's not going to look like a Bible tract. It's going to look like prayer, fasting, intercession, praying over your brother-in-law who's addicted to drugs for 10 years and praying until you see it break. Praying for somebody who's got a broken leg and praying until you see it healed. Praying for the what? Oh, man. <laughs> I was telling Wade, I was like, glad I didn't put the game at two today because we're going to go way past two today. Just, just joking. 
That would be a, that, that's a miracle that's about to happen. It's prophesied in the manuals of St. Louis somewhere. There's manuals somewhere buried under the arch, maybe, I don't know. Maybe Louis Armstrong wrote them. All right, that's enough. So there's a lot of debate about that. There's a lot of, well, I, I love that. I think that's right where we're going. You know, is it supposed to look like Jesus' time in ministry with the disciples having power over all the enemy in Acts 2? Or was that just a time, this is what a lot of cessationalists believe, which means the gifts have stopped. Or was it just a time to authenticate the gospel and make the word true? And we'll see that when Jesus comes back. So I want you guys to look at this. We're going to scroll through our Bible. So I'm not going to define the kingdom. I'm going to let Jesus do it. So Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then look at this. Right after the Lord's Prayer, watch what happens. I'm going to read the subtitles all the way up through chapter 10. I wish I would have put a list up on here, but... Just look at these sub. <laughs> look at how look at how the kingdom manifests on earth through Jesus, who we're called to be like, actually, who we're called to walk as. Look at these. So he talks about fasting. Talks about not laying up treasures in heaven, but laying up, or laying up treasures in earth, but on heaven. Talks about having a single focus. Your eye is a lamp of the body. Having a single focus on Christ. Not worshiping money, but worshiping God. Don't be anxious. Trust God for everything as you seek the kingdom. Do not judge. Ask and it will be given. Build your house on the rock. The authority, he, after this whole thing, he cleanses a leper. He heals uh, a centurion, his servants, a centurion's servant. Jesus heals the multitudes. We're in chapter eight now. The cost of following Jesus. You have to leave behind everything and follow me. Jesus calms a storm. He has peace in the middle of the storm. He takes authority over the weather. This is some Pentecostal stuff here. Jesus heals two men with demons. Jesus heals a paralytic. Jesus calls Matthew a sinner and eats and fellowships with other sinners. Pharisees are happy about that one. Jesus talks about fasting. A girl's life is restored. A girl is brought back to life. A lady with an issue of blood is healed. Jesus heals two blind men. Jesus heals a man unable to speak. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. What I'm doing right now, I'm one of the only laborers. You guys need to get out there and do it. Jesus commissions the 12 apostles to go out and pray over everybody, trample on serpents, scorpions, and he says, I've given you power over all of the enemy. And if you look in Luke 11, they come back stoked, like, God, you did you geez, did you see that? We just cast out blah, 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 blah. You know, and he's like, I've given you power over all the enemy. But don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that your names are in the Lamb's book of life. Jesus, that's, look at that. That's just three chapters. So the kingdom, that's the kingdom right there. Sounds like a typical everyday life, everyday day for us, right? You guys, that's kind of like describes your day, right? Like casting out demons and seeing lepers healed and you know, fasting a ton and, right? Like healing the multitudes. Anybody? Rivet, cricket? Okay, so what's the disconnect? I want to focus, so there was a lot in there. There was fasting, there was praying, there was trusting God, but what was the main theme in all that? Miraculous, prayer. Praying, seeing the miraculous. That was the main theme, right? So I just want to make two observations about the miraculous. Do you guys agree that that was pretty much like, you can't escape that? Like, that's actually how Jesus brought the kingdom? Like, a lot of crazy stuff that we would probably nowadays be like, ooh, 
that's them charismatics that, you know, drink that poison to show that they got the Holy Spirit. Like, I think we jump into two ditches with this. One is, uh, that was for that time. It was to authenticate the message. It's for later when he comes back. And then the other ditch is, man, I gave my money to Benny Hinn. I gave my money to Creflo Dollar, and he said if I sowed my healing seed money that I would get my healing and $50,000 in return. You see the two ditches that we've fallen into? Not for today, that's for the second coming, or what? Ah, that's too crazy, not for me, too much abuse. Do you guys know that both of those responses directly oppose Christ's prayer for us? You know those responses directly oppose the Lord's prayer. Not only that, so Jesus taught us to pray for those things, so you can be like, yeah, I'll pray for it and maybe it'll happen. Okay, yeah, (laughs) be healed. Okay, see you later. (laughs) It not only opposes how he taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it opposes the Great Commission. But I thought the Great Commission was about discipleship. Look at this. Turn to Matthew 26. Jesus not only told, told us to pray for these things to come, he actually commanded us to do this. You don't, you don't really hear this identified in the Great Commission. What do you guys, what's the Great Commission? Okay, yep. We know that part, and it's right there. We skip one couple words there. Matthew 26. I just want to, this is just straight Bible, so like we cannot, don't get mad at me for getting charismatic. Like this is, this is not charismatic, it's normal Christianity. Like, Matthew 26, 28, sorry, 16. So we always say, go out into the world and make disciples of all nations, right? That's kind of our little banner. But there's a couple words in there that are pretty important that we kind of gloss over. And if you really want a detailed version of the Great Commission, go to Mark 16. <laughs> That's a crazy one, which I know there's debate about that being original, but I think it lines up pretty well with Jesus' ministry. So let's just go right to Matthew 28, verse 20. Now let's go, let's make, let's get the whole thing, Brandon. 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I won't add anything there. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's where we stop normally, right there. You guys see that? We normally stop at verse 19. Here's a cool verse, 20. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What does he say there in verse 20? Huh. What, what does he say again? teaching them all that I have commanded you to do. What did, he, what did we just see that he commanded his disciples to do, and what did he just live? What did he just teach them? In Matthew 10 and Luke 11, he literally commissioned and gave the disciples authority to go out and see the miraculous. Do you guys see how we've missed that? It says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So, The argument about, no, that stops with the disciples, that can't fly. Because if the disciples did their job, which they did, like you're talking about, the church spread, they're handing that off, that teaching, that miraculous lifestyle. Just look at the whole book of Acts. 
they are handing that off and saying, hey, Jesus taught me to have authority over all the enemy. I'm going to teach it to you too. Go and teach others. So that's part of the deal. That's the kingdom. And so my, I think maybe where most of us land in here is we would probably theologically agree with that. We would probably say, yeah, that's kind of a bulletproof case unless we want to talk later about cessation stuff. But most of, most of you guys would agree that's part of the deal, right? Would you? Seeing the miraculous? We've, we've all seen some bits and pieces, right? Most of us would probably theologically agree with that, but what's the disconnect? Why don't we see it in our lives? We what? We don't want to see it. Yeah, you're right. We don't want to see it. What did Jesus face when he started doing all that? What caused the sickness of most people? Demonic oppression. What did he face with the Pharisees and the the legalists of the day? Persecution. What did he face with his own disciples? They didn't understand what the heck he was doing. Most of us don't want to do it because when we start doing it, Satan's like, dang, I had them on the ropes forever. Now they're like actually believing and knowing and having faith that they're supposed to do this stuff. I better start throwing some uppercuts and start, you know, most of us just, the moment we step out and try to do one of those things, Satan's like, "Uh uh-uh, get back in there. And then we make man-made doctrines to fit that. Really, we do. We make man-made doctrines to fit fit what we don't see out of failure. I'm just going to be honest with you guys. So like, I'm (laughs) with healing. I pray, you know, I was sick for like a week and a half. And I, my wife and I have walked in a lot of healing type ministries and we've seen very consistent results. When I was sick last week, after like two days of praying against it, I started developing man-made doctrines. Oh, God must be trying to work something out of me. I'm a jerk. Ah, there must be some kind of rebellion or sin in me. Man, uh, it must not be his will for, for me to get healed. Do you guys see that? Do you guys ever do that? Oh man, I'm learning like such great patience right now with the sickness. Here's the thing. God can take what the enemy used for evil and make it for good. You can learn a ton from being sick. Trust me. You can. But did Jesus, I just want to look right at Jesus. Like, I don't want to get theological. Did Jesus ever say that? Like, when Jesus healed the centurion's servant, did he go up there and be like, wait a sec. This guy's got a lot of bitterness. He's got like a root of bitterness in his life. And he was pretty mean to his employees, so... I think we're going to let this sickness ride and kind of teach him some lessons. You know, maybe he can get some stuff worked out of his life. And then when he's kind of like, you know, realizes how much of a jerk he is, then I'll kind of let him be healed. Did Jesus ever say that? I'm pretty sure when people got healed, they turned to the kingdom of God like that. Like, I'm pretty sure the woman with the issue of blood for like 15 years, when she clawed out and reached for the hem of his garment, I don't think Jesus in that moment was like, man, I don't know, lady, you remember how, much, remember how many husbands you've had? Like, mm-mm. Nope, he's like, blessed are you, woman of faith. <laughs> You're healed. And she praised God and followed God for the rest of her life. So I just want to encourage us today, like when Jesus, there is, an, there is a second coming focus of the kingdom. There will be a full realization, but <laughs> I think oftentimes us as believers, make man-made traditions and doctrines out of what we don't see, which is not faith. 
And this is a quote I've heard from teachers we follow. And we, we're going to heaven, but we live like hell on earth. We've got a ticket to heaven, but we live miserable. How many of you guys are miserable right now? Anybody? I've been pretty miserable for the last couple of years. I'll just be honest. I mean, I'm going to heaven. I've got the Holy Spirit in me, but I've, I've let some stuff really shape and mold my life. And I just want to encourage us today, like, we don't have to wait for heaven. We, we, I, I want, I'm waiting for heaven, trust me, I'm hoping for heaven, but we don't have to wait to experience those things right now. Like, seriously, you can actually have victory over sin in your life. You can actually have victory over the curse. I'm, I'm not joking. <laughs> I was depressed for like 10 years, maybe clinically, I don't know, I never tested it. I was depressed for 10 years, and most of the time the church just told me, well, that's just something you inherited. It's a biological thing. You'll just have to deal with it your whole life. And then one day our pastor at our, our old church said, you know what, you guys can, he just kind of said it point blank, like, you can overcome depression. Just believe Jesus can deliver you from it. And I'm like, I was 24, 25 at the time. That was the first time I ever heard that I could actually overcome depression. Two days later, done. I think there is way more to this prayer than we think. I think when we realize who God is as a perfect father that wants to set us free for his kingdom, for his glory, we will want to surrender our lives and we will want to see the kingdom come, like right now, practically. So that's, that's Lord, teach us how to pray. Recognize who he is, surrender our wills, and we'll see his kingdom come. I want to get practical really quick here. How many of you guys struggle with prayer? Yeah, everyone. How many of you struggle with hearing from God? How many of you struggle with consistent prayer life and seeing results? Yeah, we're all raising our hands. I'm in the same boat. I just want to give you guys a couple of practical things. You can write them down or you can look at the sermon again, but prayer journal. Anybody ever done a prayer journal? It's really cool. It's really cool. So prayer journal, that's just basically when you cut out all the junk in your life and you just sit down and get quiet with the Lord my wife and I, we go back and forth on this because I can hear easily from God quickly and she, she feels like she struggles more. But I would encourage you just to have the word out with you, read the word along with it, and just whatever comes to your mind first, jot it down. Because here's the thing, it says we have the mind of Christ. It says that he lives in us. So let's not sell ourselves too short. Like, we can actually hear from God. Write that thing down. Check it against the word. I know. Doctrinally correct. Write that thing down and look for how God will use that in your life. That day or the next day or two days later, 10 weeks later. I've written things down six years ago when I'm in the bathroom in the morning. The, my bathroom time is like my God time. When you got four kids like banging on the door, like, ah, and you see the lock starting to turn. You're like, oh God, oh God. And you reach, the, you know, like, <laughs> bathroom's like, I've written sermons on the, on the uh, sink before, not the other thing. But that's my time, and when I'm sitting there on an undisclosed object, God will bring a date into my mind, and I'll look back through my prayer journal, and it'll be like, to a T, what I'm going through in that moment in life. And I'll, I'll remember all the testimony that got me there. So prayer journal, number one. Number two, pr persistent prayer of a righteous man. So I just want to get real with you guys. I have a friend that struggled with drugs for years. It was destroying his family. You guys know that verse, the persistent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, meaning 
the persistent widow, you know, the more you pray, the more you pray, you'll press through. I had a friend for years who was struggling with drug addiction. It was destroying his family. You couldn't talk to him about it. He was unapproachable, not accountable, would not release it, wouldn't let it go. And we spent months, me personally, but my wife too, with me when she could, like, not months, but maybe a few weeks, just praying and praying and praying and praying. Every day in the morning, like two or three hours, just praying specifically for him, for whatever was oppressing him, just to break off. And like, probably... Two or three weeks later, we got a call from his wife that said he had stopped doing the drugs and was like a totally different man. Here's the thing, though. Since then, he's struggled still with substance abuse. I kind of was like, oh, cool, awesome victory. Kind of backed off. We need to be persistent in prayer for our brothers and sisters. We do not fight against flesh and blood. Like, we can sit there and argue with somebody logically why they don't need to take drugs, but it's, it's a spiritual battle. They are... Their minds are completely owned by the enemy. So persistent prayers. The last one, um, what we talked about earlier, pause. Just pause in life. Pause, take a breath, invite God into it. When you're angry at your brother, Donnie, pause, take a breath, pray, play some accordion, pray. God will show you what to do, for real. So Lord, teach us how to pray. Recognize God as a father, verse 9. That he's holy and set apart, verse, verse 10. Surrender to his will personally and calling, and we'll see the kingdom come. So I'm going to pray. Father, we just thank you so much for this time. We thank you for your word. Just pray that we would see you for who you are. Perfect Heavenly Father, that that would transform our lives, that we would just really believe that, Lord, and walk in it. And that would lead us to surrendering to your will, Lord seeing your kingdom come in our lives. Just pray for this place. We pray for you to have your way in this church and each individual. God, thank you that you use us, broken vessels. That brokenness is what you're looking for so that you can be made great. We love you, Lord. You are so faithful, so good. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.